Our study today is entitled Grumble. Grumble. When was the last time you found yourself grumbling? When was the last time you grumbled? Maybe you were hungry and you were grumbling because there was no food immediately. Uh, maybe you didn't get enough sleep the night before and your coworker started to drive you nuts, you know? When was the last time you grumbled? What are the things that cause us to grumble in the first place? Anything. What are some reasons you might find yourself grumbling? The wife takes too long to cook. <laughs> to get ready. Well, the guys are all like, it takes too long for the girls to get ready. What are other reasons you grumble? Maybe the girls are like, the guys are so impatient, you know? <laughs> what are some other reasons you might find yourself grumbling? Maybe you're just dissatisfied with life, unmet expectations, right? Um, shattered hopes and dreams. You know, I was so close, I almost had it, you know? Um, a dissatisfaction with yourself, jealousy. What else? Covetousness, right? When there's something you want to buy, but there's no money. So blocked goals, you know, might cause you to grumble. I know what that's like. One time I went to the uh, drive-thru at Tim Hortons, and, and I didn't have any coins in my car, and I had left my credit cards at home, and I'm like, how am I going to pay for all the stuff I just ordered? And it's really embarrassing when you roll up to the, you know, you're in line. You already placed your order. They tell you how much it is on the screen, so you start getting your money ready, and I reach into my bag, and I'm like, oops, I don't have my wallet with me. What am I going to do? And you're so hungry. That's why you went to the drive-thru in the first place, right? A blocked goal, you know? And I was disappointed in myself, so I grumble. I wanted to get mad at somebody, but I couldn't because it's my own fault, you know? Sometimes we grumble when we know we can't blame anybody else but ourselves, right? There's nobody else to take the, the blame. Have you ever considered yourself to be a bitter person? Bitter? What's the, what's the word for bitter? Bitter. So you understand what bitter is. Okay, you all know, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't agree with me when I said, have, are you a person that's ever been bitter? You don't want to admit that, right? <laughs> Nobody admits they're bitter, you know. <laughs> but you all know what it's like to be bitter. You have these attitudes towards other people. Do you know somebody else that's bitter? Oh, yeah, okay. And you probably all live together, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe they see you as a bitter one. So in our study today, we're going to be talking about the different attitudes and things like that that cause us to grumble. But we're going to be looking just at this one story in your Bible. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, the blue book in front of you, and we're going to be looking at the second book. It's Exodus, okay? And the entire study today is centered around just a couple chapters here. And we're turning to Exodus chapter 15, okay? And we're going to be studying a little bit about the Israelites when they were first led out of Egypt, and we find them grumbling in the wilderness, okay? 
Now, I know we've probably heard the story in Egypt when they were still slaves, and Moses was sent to, to, to free the Lord's people, and the Lord sent plagues down, and then the Lord delivered all these people out of Egypt. And we remember that as they left Egypt, the Pharaoh changed his mind and wanted to take back all of the Hebrew slaves. And the Lord had led them out to the Red Sea. Do you remember that part of the story? And at the Red Sea, there was this miraculous thing that happened where the, the Lord said to Moses, hold out your rod and, and hold it up high and the waters are going to part. There was a strong wind that blew the waters apart. And the Israelites had all their families, all their livestock, and the, the presence of the Lord was with the Israelites. And the favor of God was with them, and God protected them from the, the Egyptians chasing after them. The Egyptians went out with their war horses and their chariots ready to take back, take captive all these Hebrew slaves. But the Lord had blocked them, and he gave safe passage through the Red Sea. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry ground because the water split and there were like walls of water. And the Israelites went through and they witnessed the mighty hand of God. And as they got to the other side of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming in behind them, the waters closed up over the enemies and they drowned in the water. And Israel was born a new nation on the other side of that Red Sea. So at this point, this is where our story takes off today. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 15. And if you look at the first part of that chapter, all you see is a song of praise. And the Israelites were praising God for how faithful and wonderful and mighty he is. And they were declaring him as the only Lord that they bow down and worship. He indeed is Yahweh God. And they're singing this praise to him. What a beautiful song. But after that, only three days after they made this big declaration about the Lord, that's where our story takes off. Our first section is called Bitterness to Healing. Let's see what sort of challenges this new nation had been experiencing here. Chapter 22, 15, verses 22 to 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink, sweet. Okay, let's stop right there. So they're in the desert. Imagine yourself. You are traveling through the desert. You just passed the Red Sea. God is awesome. God is great. Three days you go, literally dying of thirst because there was no water for you. Finally, after three days, you come to a place where there's water, an oasis in the middle of this wilderness. And you rush to it. You're ready to scoop it up and you take the first taste of it. And when the Bible says that it's bitter, it's not just the flavor of the water, okay? Bitter here means it was undrinkable. It was probably too salty, too murky, that if they drank this water, they would dehydrate. So it's not a water that would save them. It's a water that would speed up the death process, okay? So this is what's happening here. But then it said they started to grumble, 
Moses, why did you lead us? We can't drink this water. Moses is like, what do you want me to do? You know, am I just supposed to miraculously let water appear? But it said that the Lord heard their grumbles, and he told Moses to go get a piece of wood. Where does wood come from? A tree, right? And when we think about trees, um, I started to research, and I said, what was so special about this piece of wood that if it was thrown in the water, could it really make the water drinkable? There is no known tree that could make salt water drinkable. And not just drinkable, but sweet. It said that when they drank the water, it wasn't just good for drinking, it was sweet. I remember something I read in Psalm 119. If you were to open up your Bible and you're right in the middle, you'll probably land somewhere in Psalms. And Psalm 119, it's a book all about God's word. And I love this, 119 verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now remember, I'm going to jump around a little bit. In the Garden of Eden, we are told that there were two trees, right? Two specific trees in the center of the garden. One of them was a knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other one was the tree of life, okay? And if they ate from the tree of life, they would live, they would have life. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought death, okay? Now it's interesting because here, they are a new nation. They don't know the Lord's commands. They have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. So the Lord brings them through the Red Sea. That's like being birthed through the waters. And they are now new, a new nation. They are born again on the other side of the Red Sea. But just like a child, you can't expect them to live up to your standards and your expectations right away. You need to teach them right? When a child cries, you don't get mad at the child for crying. They're just grumbling. They need something. The nation of Israel, they needed something. And the Lord heard their grumbling. And the Lord is a merciful Lord. So he wanted to teach this young nation the way that they ought to live. So by providing this miracle, take the piece of wood, throw it in the water, and it becomes sweet. I've learned that the details in the Bible are there for a reason. They are important. They're symbolizing something. It's said that the Lord's word, or the Torah, as Moses was learning the Torah, the Torah is a tree of life. The word of God is a tree of life. And as we come to know the tree of life, as we come to know the word of God, it tastes sweet. I imagine what the fruit of the tree of life would have tasted like. You know, but it's a fruit that would have brought life and a fruit that is sweet. And when we feed on the word of God, it is sweet to our mouth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, all these things in scripture are working together and there's a theme throughout it. God's word, his will, it's good. So what lesson are we learning here when the waters were bitter this is reflecting the character of the Israelites. They were a bitter people. Why were we let out of Egypt? We have no water here. They're grumbling. They're complaining, right? But then that tree, the piece of wood, signifies the word of God, healing the water so that the water is good for drinking and it sustains their life.
Okay, let's continue reading. There, the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and there they camped near the water. Okay. Could we go back one slide? So it says that the Lord was teaching them. He was giving them some sort of instruction. So he meets their need of thirst. And when they are satisfied, then he could speak his instruction. And he gives them this promise. If you listen carefully, if you obey, if you shema my instruction, if you hear it, you listen and you obey and do what is right in his eyes, I will not bring on you any of the diseases. Remember, they witnessed the plagues that came upon Egypt when the Lord was freeing them. Now, this promise, it's not for all people today. This was specifically for the Israelites during the time that they were in the wilderness, up until the time that they reached the promised land. If you obey, things will go well with you. If you shema, things will go well with you that none of the diseases would befall them. Because God took them out of there and he promised them that he's taking them to their new homeland, the promised land. So God is faithful to his promises, yes? In order to get you from slavery to the promised land, you're going to have to live by a few rules because this is going to help you get to that promised land. It's not going to save you, but you want to stick around to see what happens, right? God's the one who saves us. And if we, we know what's good for us, we're going to learn the lessons that he's teaching us. Okay. I like what it says here. For I am the Lord who heals you. God is our healer. And he's not talking about the physical healing here. He's talking about a spiritual healing. So the journey that he's taking the, Egypt, the Israelites on, it, it's both a journey that's, um, internal, spiritually, and external. They had to go through the wilderness and make it through there. Wouldn't you grumble if you were in the Israelite situation? I would. <laughs> I grumble when the drive through is closed. I grumble when my kids take the last piece of chicken nuggets. I grumble when there's no internet. <laughs> Why else do you grumble? <laughs> Interesting. It says here that the miracle God did came with a lesson. Just as God healed their water, he could heal their bodies if they trusted in him. I like what it says at the end of this passage, because it said that he led them to this place, Elam, where there were 12 streams of water. So from this place of scarcity, and there's no water anywhere, he brings them to this place of abundance. Okay. Maybe that's you. You're waiting for the abundant life that God promised you. But are you still grumbling? Or have you learned to trust the Lord? See, because he might be giving you a piece of wood in your bitter water to heal you first. You cannot experience the abundance if you haven't been healed 
from your bitterness, you see. When you stick with God, he will lead you where he says he's leading you. And he brought them to the 12 streams. How many tribes were there of Israel? 12 tribes, one stream for each tribe. And this was equal portioning for all those nations coming together, right? And it said that there were 70 palm trees. And somewhere in the, there was the Sanhedrin where there were 70 priests, right? That they would be under this shade and have the, the protection of God over them. I mean, this is beautiful. These, the details are so important. And it's revealing so much. God is putting together his people, and he's declaring, this is my people, and 12 is a number of governance, and 70 is also a number of rest, okay? Let's see what else happens after, after this experience. They get up from Elam, and we're going to continue reading, looking back to looking forward, Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. The whole Israelite community set out for Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that this was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he who has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. When we read through this passage, it goes to show the state of mind that the Israelites may have had. They're still questioning and wondering, who is it that led us out of Egypt? Is it really the Lord, or was it just these two quack brothers, Moses and Aaron, you know, and their sister? You know, like, they're wondering, where are we going? Who is really leading us? Do you remember that there was a cloud over the Israelites that was leading them? The Shekinah glory of God? was with them, protecting them, giving them shade by day in the form of a cloud and a pillar of fire by night to keep them warm and guide the way. So you see that God's presence was already with them. And yet the Israelites did not acknowledge that. They were wondering, what are you doing, Moses? We're hungry. Why are we here? We, we, we want meat like we had back in Egypt. It would have been better to die in Egypt that at least we didn't die hungry, you know? And they're questioning and they're doubting and they're groaning and grumbling. And that's why Moses keeps saying, listen, when this happens, you will know that it is the Lord. You will have meat to eat in the middle of this wilderness. You will know that it's the Lord that has led you out because Moses cannot do these things. It's only God that would rain down the bread from heaven and allow the meat to fall on them. What was the form of the meat that they had? 
quail, birds. Now it's interesting, I did a little bit more research. In ancient Egyptian drawings, they would say that in this area, the Egyptian drawings showed that people had put nets out over the bushes because the birds would be returning home on their migration and they would become so tired that they would just fall from exhaustion. And they would fall into these nets and that's how they gather their food. Now imagine you're out in the wilderness. We want meat, we want meat. They just happen to be in the right place where those quails would just drop right where they are. I mean, this was a cycle of nature already in place before they got to that place. I mean, this helps me appreciate so much more that God led them to a place where he knew the birds would fall on them in the point of their grumbling. I mean, that's amazing. God, God works all things together, okay? But he's teaching these young ones a lesson. He wanted to test them. And he said, the next day when you wake up, eat meat tonight. But the next day when you wake up tomorrow, there will be bread from heaven on the ground. But he tested them. The bread's not just there for you to eat. There were specific instructions. God gave them these guidelines or these boundaries to test the character of the Israelites, to teach them how to obey. Okay? I cannot correct my children. I cannot discipline my children if they don't know what they're supposed to do first. If my son just puts his bowl after eating and he leaves it on the floor, I can't get mad at him for that because I didn't teach him you need to bring your bowl to the sink and wash it and put it away. See, that's the expectation. God also sets out expectation for us. And when we fall short of that expectation, he brings us back up to his standard. He says, did I not teach you already? He corrects us. You don't leave your bowl on the floor. You bring it to the sink, you wash it, and you put it away. If I see that bowl on the floor next time, you haven't learned your lesson. There's going to be some sort of consequence. You don't get to eat because that's your bowl that you eat from. The child might grumble. It's not fair. I should eat too. Right? Sounds like the Israelites. We want food. Wah, wah, wah. They didn't know any better. And God didn't hold their grumbling against them. It says that he heard their grumbling and he did something about it in a gracious way. He responds to them by providing what they desire, meat to eat and bread in their bellies, okay? Let's see what happens here as we continue reading on. Cravings to satisfaction. We're reading from verses 9 to 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings from the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the, whole, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Then the dew was gone. Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Then the Israelites saw it. They said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, 
It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And then when they are, when they are measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the, the sun grew hot, it melted away. Amazing, hey? Imagine you wake up in the desert, and then you just see this white flake all over around you, and, and it's not snow, right? This is like good news because you're hungry and this is your food. And the instruction was you need to go out and gather it. You know, sometimes I think we like to just sit down and be served, right? But God is teaching them there is a work that you need to do. You need to go out and harvest this, okay? And then you could share it amongst the people. They said some people would gather much and some would gather little, but they all brought it together to the weighing station, and they would measure it out by a, a, measure, a measuring cup, a dry measure, called an omer. An omer is about two quarts, two quarts of this fine flake, two quarts for each person per day. That's plenty. That is plenty of food. And how do you prepare this fine flake? Do you just eat it flaky? No, it says you could boil it. It says that you could, I don't know, bake it however you would. And it, it's amazing, this bread. But he says, go out and collect it. Measure it by an omer. Now that teaching that God was giving them, you're not supposed to hoard the blessings of God. The blessings of God are meant for the, his whole people for his body. The blessings of God is meant to be shared amongst each other. Some people, they took their omer, they might have tried to save some for the next day, their manna for the next day, but what happened? It smelled bad, there were maggots, worms in it, it spoiled. God says, listen, every day, except for Saturday, every day you go out, I will provide your need. Can you trust me? Maybe you hold on to the food because you're afraid there might not be any tomorrow. But God says, what I have for you is more than enough. Okay? So he's teaching them this lesson to rely and depend on God. How long were the Israelites in, in the wilderness? 40 years. Now, I eat oatmeal every day. It's just my routine. Okay? And it's for my health. I eat steel-cut oats every day. Do I get tired of it? Sometimes I add a little maple syrup, you know, change up the flavor a bit, a little cinnamon. <laughs> you know, but God provides the same thing for these people every day. Would you grumble having to eat the same thing every day? Yeah? Possibly, you get tired of it. 40 years. I'm not even 40 years old yet, you know? <laughs> 40 years are in the wilderness, and every day for six days of the week, except for Sabbath, 
they were given this provision of food, an abundance of, of the bread to eat. Can you trust God in the midst of your dissatisfaction? Can you trust God when he's providing your every need, but you don't want what he's giving? You want something else. I mean, I think we could all, at some level, appreciate the Israelite struggle. We're still in the wilderness. I thought we're going to the promised land, man. And God's giving us the same manna. God could have just stopped sending the manna. Grumble now, child, (laughs) you know? God gives us what, he, what we need because he loves us. God gives us what is good for us, not just what we want. He promised to meet our needs, not our fleshly desire. Okay? This omer was used to measure the portion of manna for each person. He who gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. So God taught this truth that would be later applied to Christian giving in the New Testament church. And you could read about that on your own in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, when they said, what is it? They see this food on the ground. What is it? They didn't know what it was called. And that word that's used in the Hebrew book, it says mon, M-O-N, is how you would say it. The Hebrew word mon means a portion of food. But the Egyptian word man means what? Now remember, these Hebrews just came out of Egypt. And when they saw this stuff, they said, man, right? What? Because they would have had that Egyptian influence, but they were also Hebrew. What is this portion of food? So no matter which way you, t- you take it, when they said, what is it? When they said man, they're literally saying, what is it? So if they're saying, it is manna, they're literally saying, what is it? So that's how they came up with the name manna, because it came from that word man, right? Interesting. <laughs> I like these little side notes when I do my Bible study. It's really cool. There's a verse here in Lamentations. The prophet that this is, they say that it's Jeremiah. A lot of people believe it's the prophet Jeremiah, that wrote Lamentations, but we don't know for sure who wrote it. But it was a prophet nonetheless, and I like what he declares here in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. You know, when you're looking back at life and you see how good the Lord has been to you and you learn to trust him because of how he's always acted in the past, that gives you a hope for the future. That helps build your faith in God. And to know that the Lord provides everything you need, to know that if you go to him for what you, what you need, and he's faithful to meet that. Could you say along with the prophet, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. This is the very lesson that God wanted to teach the Israelites every morning when you wake up. I have enough for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has its own troubles. Don't worry about what happens tomorrow. Don't let the past pull you back. 
be in the present now because this is when we get to experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. His mercies are new every morning. If you're having a bad day, friends, go to sleep. Tomorrow, another day. His mercies are new, okay? Don't carry in the, the drama from today into tomorrow. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be resolved with God. Thank him for getting you through the day. And when you wake tomorrow, thank him for waking you up, okay? And say, Lord, you are my portion. You are all that I need, and I trust in you. And I'm going to go where you lead me, right? Because I know you're taking me beyond this place. You still have a plan for me, so you gave me life today. Yahweh is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Sometimes we grow stubborn, okay? We still choose to do things our way. Our needs are being met. We say, thank you, Lord, for this day. But then you waste your day, right? Like, we're not living the way God wants us to live. Um, he wakes us up and we say, okay, Lord, here I am. Have your way in me, but I'm going to go do something else for now. Call me when you're ready for me, you know? And we're stubborn. We go back to old habits. Um, we don't step into how God is leading us. Instead, we choose to go the direction we desire to go, okay? Stubbornness to resting. Exodus chapter 16, verses 22 to 36. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you, need, what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the ground on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I give you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached to the border of Canaan. And Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So God instructed the Israelites to gather twice as much manna on the sixth day because there would be none that falls on the Sabbath, right? And they were to measure out a portion, a double portion, okay? 
the Israelites that had already tried to store manna from one day to the other during the week, they woke up to a very foul smell. They woke up to find maggots in their food, and it's not good for eating. Now, if you had that experience earlier in the week, wouldn't you feel a little bit weird about saving your manna on Friday to Saturday? You don't want to wake up with that smell. You don't want to see maggots in your food. What are you going to eat? Maybe you try to eat too much on Friday. So you could just not eat on Saturday. But God provided even food for them, enough food to carry them through. So on the Sabbath, they were not to labor in the fields gathering the bread. Instead, they sit and trust that what the Lord has provided is enough for them. For me, myself, I still choose to observe the Sabbath. Okay, and the Sabbath, to me, is a very special thing. It is a gift that has been given to man by God to help us understand that we can rest from all of our efforts to try and build our own life. Instead, I could rest in Christ and build my life on him and trust that everything that God is doing through Christ in my life is more than I could ever do for myself. Trust that it's more than enough that God can save us and he provides and he protects and he gives us exactly what we need when we need it. You ever work too hard? And you think, I'm working, working, working because I really want that vacation. And the vacation comes and it's not everything you wished for, but you threw all your money to it. And you're putting your faith in the money that you're making to get the vacation you want. And God says, well, if you knew my rest and you knew my peace, you won't even need that vacation. You could experience my rest and my peace today. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, we can rest in the Lord. We don't need to build up our own kingdoms. If all that we are about is living our life so that Jesus is made known, instead of trying to leave a legacy of your own for your name to live on, your name doesn't matter, friends. The only name that matters is the name of Jesus. His name is lifted up as a name above all names. If we try to build ourselves up and not trust where God is leading us, then we're acting like stubborn, bitter, self-serving grumblers. We're not looking forward to all the good that God has. We're not looking forward to these streams of abundance that flow where Christ is. We choose to eat other things that the world has to offer us instead of feeding on the word of God, which is life. No wonder we're left with a bitter taste in our mouth. I love, once again, what it said there in Psalm 119, 103, that the word is sweeter than honey. What is sweeter than honey? I don't think there's anything in this world, really, that is sweeter than honey. But God's word is. All right? Feed on that, and life will come. Some people still went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? So yes, God provides, but there are guidelines. God provides, and he puts boundaries around that. 
And he says, if you want to enjoy what I have, you abide by these guidelines. And it's yours. Remember what God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? You can eat of any tree in this place, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was a boundary. He provided everything for Adam and Eve in the garden. They could enjoy all the creation that God had for, his, for them. They were able to roll around with the lions and all the scary animals we have today. It was a, a beautiful, peaceful place. But when they stepped out and crossed that boundary, they willfully disobeyed God. That's what happens, friends. You step out of the will of God. And you don't get to enjoy and appreciate all that is there anymore. So as long as we remain in Christ, you know what? You might still sin. You might still fall short. But God says, as long as you are in Christ, I don't see your sin anymore. I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. And he says, all these promises that I have for you, I am faithful to my promises. I never go back on my word, God says. All right? This is how he was teaching the Israelites. I will still provide manna. Even when you come out and you disobey me, I'm still providing manna for you. God will do what he says he's going to do, regardless of what you choose to do. You just ask yourself, where will I position myself today? Will I live for myself, or am I living for God through Jesus? Two choices. That's it. If you're not sure where you stand, you might say, but I chose Jesus. Why am I still bitter? Why am I still grumbling? Well, perhaps you're still young in your faith, and God is still teaching you your lessons. But friends, learn your lessons and learn them quick. The sooner you do, you get to see what God has been trying to show you. What he has for you is good. What he has for you is enough. That you don't have to grumble through your days anymore. You can have peace with God, and that will overflow into all the areas of your life. You won't be angry anymore when people, you know, you start to look with eyes of grace and mercy to others around you, because these are the eyes of Jesus. Okay, God looks at you and he says, wow, you're my child, I see you're having a hard time. Let me help you, let me serve you, let me take care of you, let me journey with you, you're not alone. When we see somebody struggling, we're just like, wow, that really sucks. Too bad for you. My life's going okay. I'll just watch out for myself. But God is saying, listen, you cannot be about yourself. You think you're so good in your life? Take whatever you have and bring it back to him. If you feel that you're not good enough, you have nothing to offer, remember the widow that only offered her two mites, her two little coins for offering? She didn't know, she didn't have much, but she brought everything that she had. It looked like little to everybody else, but when we bring whatever we have to God, he can do amazing things with it. All right? Remember the little boy with the, the lunch, the five loaves of bread and the two fish? He came with the little he had, and Jesus was able to feed the multitude. I mean, there's story after story after story that have this principle about sharing, that have this principle about bring all that you are, all that you have, bring it to Jesus, and he could use that for his kingdom purposes. We don't have to worry. Can we trust God with our life? I hope so. Because he gave up the life of Jesus to save your life. Let Jesus' death not be in vain. 
And together we can rejoice in that resurrection power, friends. Resurrection power. God is still working miracles today. He is still healing bitter hearts. He is still transforming people's lives as they renew their minds to think on the things of God as we feed on his word day by day, knowing him more and more. You know, I go on Facebook sometimes, and I love my friends that are posting all these wonderful things because they're posting scripture and they're posting truth. And when I'm faced with that truth, sometimes it pops up at a time I need to be reminded. I mean, I know these things in my head, but in the moment I forget them, you know? I forget how to live the way God wants me to live. Human beings are very, very forgetful. Who here had a forgetful moment this week? Where did I put my keys? Where did I put my water? Forgot my lunch, forgot my bus pass, you know? Everybody, we're forgetful human beings, okay? So forgetfulness, that's why I believe God keeps saying in Scripture, remember, remember, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he says remember the Sabbath because if we forget the Sabbath to rest from all of our efforts, we can easily forget to trust God. You know, you work six days, you look at your paycheck, you're like, wow, I could get more if I work another day. So then you work seven days a week so that you put, you're starting to put your faith in the money rather than trusting that God can provide your every need. And he will provide your every need. And sometimes your needs could be met without money. Say that. My needs can be met without money. Did the Israelites have money out in the wilderness? Did they need money? No, but God provided everything they needed. You know? When you grumble because you don't get the, the combo and you have to settle for the expensive fries, you know, like, you, you still have food in your stomach. You have air to breathe. The sun shines on you today. You have water to drink. We have everything we need. Don't put your faith in the money. The money can't serve you, okay? We can choose to serve one of two masters. We could choose to serve God or choose to serve this world, okay? And just like God kept saying to the Israelites, I give you this provision and I am testing you. When you are endowed with much wealth and money, be careful, friends. There's a temptation to just enjoy the money when it comes. But God wants us to be a good steward of everything that comes our way. Don't hoard things, okay? Don't hoard the blessings of God. Don't put your faith in the money. Some of these Israelites were putting their faith in the manna to sustain them. Instead of the God who gave the manna. Don't put your faith in the money... Put your faith in the God that allows you to be entrusted with that money for today. Your money will come and go, but God is always there. What are you going to trust? 
the jar of manna served as a reminder of God's faithfulness in caring for his people whenever they came to worship. You know, in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, that's where they kept the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. Along with the two tablets, it said that there was a jar of manna that talks about God's faithfulness, and there was Aaron's rod. It was a rod, a detached rod, but it was budding with life. Imagine something's cut off and there's still life in it. And this is what God wanted people to know when they came to worship. I am a faithful God. Here, here's my commands. Here's my will. And there's life. I will sustain you and I will bring you new life. You can be dead to this world and you come alive in Christ. This is a beautiful thing. And at the center of it, it's God's word. Okay? God's word will sustain us. Let's close this off. So after the Egyptians, sorry, after the Israelites grumbled that there was no water, the bitter water turned sweet, and then they were led to abundant streams. Okay? And when they grumbled that they had no food, God gave them the quails, and then he provided manna for 40 years. Okay? Let's see what else happened on their journey. They find themselves again here, Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. The whole Israelite community set out for the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why would you quarrel with me? Why would you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of your elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and wa water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So once again, they find themselves without water to drink. What was the first miracle that happened after they crossed the Red Sea? God provided water. When there seems to be no way, God always provides a way. Okay? It's when you look forward and hope in him and trust in him. You might not see where he's leading because it looks impossible. They looked around this desert and there was no water anywhere, just this big rock. Good luck trying to get water from a rock. You can't just melt the rock and get water. But God told Moses to do something very bold. Yep, they want to stone you. Yep, they're upset with you. But do this, Moses. You and some witnesses, the elders of the tribes. It was the elders of the tribes that witnessed what they saw. Strike the rock and water will flow out from it. And the water was enough for everybody. Do you remember a song that we sing? Christ alone, cornerstone, right? And he is a rock that we build our life on. 
And Jesus is the rock that was struck when he was crucified on a tree. And as he hung on that tree, the blood poured from him. And life is in the blood. And his blood was spilled out for us. What seems impossible, we could all be stuck and dead to the penalty of sin because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If it wasn't for Jesus' sacrifice and the shedding of his blood, friends, none of us have life. But out of Christ, our cornerstone, when he was struck and put up on that cross, on that tree, life became available for all of us. Remember at that last supper with his disciples? He broke the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body. Take this cup and drink it in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I am doing for you. I am bringing life because without me there is no life. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. This is why we need Jesus, friends. Without him, there is no life. Without him, there is no peace. Without him, we will still be grumbling and hurting each other and not forgiving each other, living not out of love. We would be tearing each other apart, just like the days of Noah, when the whole world grows wicked. But those who believe and have faith in Jesus. Friends, life starts coming to you. And life starts to look very different. And you start to look through eyes of love instead of eyes and hearts that are grumbling. We need to be mindful of God's presence every moment because when we forget his presence in our life, we get so consumed with ourselves. We want only what we desire. Remember the Shekinah glory? God's presence over the nation of Israel? God's presence was with them, and still they questioned his power. Friends, do you know that God is with you? If you've accepted Jesus, do you know that God is with you? When you've accepted Jesus, do you know the resurrection power of God is available to you? It's in your life. Don't forget it, because when you do, you grow bitter. When you do, you grumble and you don't see the mercy of God every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Are you experiencing it? Let's look at these last few verses, John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is you ask for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. John 6, verse 27 and 35. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
I've never appreciated this passage so much as I do now after having gone through this study. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What do you hunger and thirst for, my friends? Jesus promises living water. He is the bread of life. Those who come to Jesus will never hunger, and those who believe in him will never thirst. He will satisfy our hunger and thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. And Jesus is our Sabbath rest. If you find yourself grumbling this week, friends, I urge you to be still. Remember what God has done in the past and trust that he will continue to do this good work in your life for your future. Our God is good, yes? yes. Our God is alive. Yes. Our God goes with you, friends. May God be with you. His peace be with you.